Hello and welcome to Public Policy Radio, brought to you by Westminster Search. My name is Joseph Henry, the host of Public Policy Radio, and today we have a bit of a treat for you. It's our first interview, which is fantastic. Um, rather chuffed about that. Um, and it's with Dr. Sean Paul Vincent, um, who's an expert on both UK and Japanese politics. Um, and is going to talk to us about the Japanese view on Brexit, um, all the way from Japan. Um, so please forgive the occasional um, slight sound quality issues in the episode. That's because it was a conversation recorded over the internet. Um, and as of all things, it's never quite perfect. So there's a couple of tiny little sound things. But apart from that, it's absolutely fascinating um, interview. I, I learned a lot and I hope you learn a lot as well about Japan's position on Brexit. Um, lots of interesting stuff there. I would listen to it a couple of times, definitely. Um, and I'll stop wittering on and I will now pass over to the interview. So cue transition. Joseph Henry, host of Public Policy Radio. Today I'm here with Dr. Sean Vincent, expert in UK and Japanese politics, who's currently researching political parties and public policy. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you for having me. No worries, no worries. Today we're talking about Japan and Brexit, as I thought it'd be interesting to take a different angle to the normal Remain Leave um, back and forth on Brexit and to take an opinion from somewhere and a totally different angle, but from a place that has a real invested interest in the talks, which is Japan. Um, and when I thought about that, I thought straight away of Dr. Sean Vincent. Um, so, Sean, sort of first question on this, just generally, give us a sort of overview on Japan and Brexit and what their thoughts are. I think from the very beginning of when the vote was, when the referendum was decided, it was going to be held. Mm -hmm. And since then, the, the key the key concern of, of Japan, the Japanese government and the businesses has been that of the economy. Um, Japan's relationship with Britain is primarily an economic one. Um, and as you alluded to uh, slightly in your, in your introduction, um, there's a very strong economic relationship, especially in the automobile uh, financial mm -hmm. services industry. So there's a genuine, I mean, the, the discourse here has been dominated by the economic effect that yeah. Brexit will have on, on UK and Japanese relations. Okay. Well, that, that does make sense because I suppose, I suppose for Japan, it is, in a sense, Britain is the gateway to Europe, as they've always seen it. That was how Margaret Thatcher sold Japan to them um, and helped to get, I mean, for example, the uh, Nissan car works up in Sunderland was located there due to that sort of idea of, um, the gateway to Europe. So what, what, with them thinking about the economy, what's their honest opinion? Do they think it's a good idea, bad idea? Do they see opportunities? What's the, um, are they mitigating facts? So what's the, 
the way that the government's approaching it now. I've asked a lot of little questions in there, so I'll just let you sort of answer and we can go on from there. Well, I think you raised a very good issue um, regarding the, uh, the, the history um, of Japanese investment in the United Kingdom. And certainly, you know, the, the kind of key primary era of that starting in the 1980s was with Margaret Thatcher. Um, there's no real way, I think, to sugarcoat this. Um, from the beginning, the view of Japan's government and of its industry has been one of concern and slightly slight bafflement, I think the word, uh, the word would be. I think there's never been a clear understanding in, in Japan of why Britain would choose to make life, let's say, economically more difficult for itself by exiting the single market in Europe. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, I have an anecdotal evidence. I don't think the, the cultural and the political relationship between Britain and the European Union is fully understood in many other countries, especially countries in Asia. Um, I remember speaking to a number of graduate students at Nihon University a couple mm -hmm. of years ago, and I asked them, I asked them then, and this was, this was in fact the week before the, the referendum was held, and I asked them, well, do you think, do you think if, you know, Japan were in Britain's position, do you think Japan should engage in a, uh, in a policy which opened up more free trade within Asia, within East Asia, and they all unanimously said yes. And I said, you know, would you like, uh, would you approve of uh, greater regulation and alignment? And they you know, broadly said yes. And I, and I asked them, you know, would you be in favor of a political union with East Asia, South Korea, Taiwan, China, um, the other ASEAN states? And pretty uniformly, they said no. Yeah. And rejected it. And I think there's the, the way that people in Asia, Certainly, and the advanced economies look at Brexit, and I think this is true of America as well. They look at Brexit as being all about economics, and they don't really comprehend the political, uh, cultural, and the issues at the, the human level that I think, in the end, were decisive in Britain's decision to leave. You, you make some good points there, actually, because... Um... I recently had read an interview with the head of the World Trade Organization who um, said actually Brexit isn't about trade, it was about um, politics, whereas Trump's um, economic sanctions war with China or how trade war with China is actually about trade. Um, and it's quite an interesting distinction, but I suppose, I suppose you do raise quite an interesting point there. Like, I suppose to the rest of the world, the EU does look like it's just a, a trading deal. But I think to U Europeans, especially the political elites in Europe, it is very much a political project. Um, and maybe it needs to be more in just general to the European populace. You know, there needs to be a discussion about what the European project is. Um, otherwise, you know, Brexit might not be the first one of these troubles. You know, Hungary, for instance, isn't particularly happy at the moment in the EU. Um, so there is some interesting points there you said about the economic stuff and the political stuff and how they're different. Um, I mean, do you think Japanese business will relocate from Britain after Brexit if it goes badly? 
Um, the short answer, I mean, the short answer is probably, the vague answer is probably, um, yeah. I believe so, yes, and, and I think they've gone on record. At the moment, um, the direct investments of uh, Japan in in the UK is around you know, just, just over £40 billion. Pounds. There are about 1,300 companies um, operating in the United Kingdom. But I think key to this, and, in, and another interesting fact, there are approximately 150 European office headquarters of Japanese companies within the United Kingdom. One would imagine that it would be unsustainable for these offices um, to to continue to exist in, in the case. And we're looking at, at a no deal Brexit scenario. Yeah. And a no deal Brexit scenario is, of course, from certainly from the Japanese point of view, uh, you know, a very much an unwanted outcome. Yeah. Um, they, I think they, you know, the consensus is they would want Britain, as you mentioned it, as a, as a gateway to Europe, they would want um, a deal to happen. Um, Keidanren, which is the, the Japanese version of the, um, the CBI, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they put on record quite recently saying that they, you know, they want a deal to happen. They want simplified customs, uh, simplified customs union, regulatory coherence between the UK and the European Union, and tariff-free trade. Basically, what they're asking for is business as usual yeah. in the relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union. And all of this um, is based on its economic relationship. Yeah. I think, in a way... The, what the Japanese business are asking for is what British business and European business is asking for is as well. Um, is they they want certainty, they want it business as usual, and they don't want disruption. Because um, it's quite interesting, like you, you you mentioned about probably leaving. Um, I think already there's been a few that have already moved. There's Muji, the retailer, has moved. I think it's moving to Germany. Um, I think. Uh, couple of the banks have started moving their trading arms so um, the Japanese investment banks like Nomura have started moving those that say trade in European bonds they're starting to move those jobs um, abroad so so I think the headquarters moving is I think it's that's going to be um, that I think that will be a bit of a trend even if there is a decent trading relationship there will have to be for quite a few companies, probably more of a focus on Brussels um, in the near future. So, what we'll what we'll have in the case of a of a No Deal Brexit is a continued, you know, I think actually as a bilateral agreement, the the economic relationship between the United Kingdom and Japan will remain very strong. Yeah, there's... we've seen we've seen you know we've seen soft banks take over of ARM in the last couple of years. Toyota investing £240 million uh, in its Berniston plant. Um, there is continued and increasing investment in the United Kingdom. And you know, these, these companies know that a, a no-deal Brexit is a possibility. They are still interested in investing in the United Kingdom. And they see the United Kingdom as a valuable trading partner. But there is no doubt that the extent of this investment is going to be scaled back in the event of a deal scenario. Yeah, well, I suppose that that is. Um, well, 
actually, if there's no deal, what's your thoughts on if there was a deal with America that's produced, you know, say, for instance, there's no deal and then Britain does a really quick deal with America, trade deal. Would that change the way Japan views Britain then? Or would it stay the same? Well, to go, I mean, that, that certainly wouldn't hurt. But in the current climate, it's, it's difficult to um, ascertain what kind of deal that Britain could get with the United States. Yes. Perhaps, perhaps you know, more. We, we saw um, in the last couple of weeks, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has stated that Britain would be welcomed to join the um, CPTPP, the, um, the successor to the, the kind of failed TPP deal which America withdrew from yeah. um, last year. And, and this, I mean, again, this is why I say that bilateral relations are very strong. Um, it's a great, um, you know, it's a great um, opportunity. I think, you know, there are Australia, um, New Zealand, uh, other, you know, a lot of countries which Britain could open a relationship with. The the interesting thing on this is that all trade partnerships require a certain degree of regulatory alignment. Yeah. So you could see the invitation to join the CPTPP is certainly inviting politically at a time where it seems that you know, perhaps Britain's back is against the wall, but. By rejecting the European Union and a deal with the European Union on the basis of remaining in the customs union, well, the, the most likely scenario is joining any other um, economic partnership would in, would involve being in some kind of customs union yeah. or something very similar in the same way. So, okay, Britain has options to enter, you know, another trading block, but it would still have to give away some kind of uh, sovereignty over over its um, business and economic development. Mm. Essentially, there, there is really no way out of, of uh, I think, in the modern world. And Amer- America can do this because it, it has the power to, but for most other countries, it's incredibly difficult to avoid um, entering into some kind of customs union or regulatory alignment. Yeah, I mean... I mean, in a way, I mean, like people talk about handing over the customs union as a loss of sovereignty. Um, but in reality, it's I don't think it's actually that big of a deal because a lot of the times, you know, like regulatory alignment, most of the time that can only generally be a good thing. Because if there's, you know, if you are aligned regulatory regulation wise, it means that you can compete with the players in these other countries on a fair basis because everyone's working from the same hymn sheet, as it were. Um, so I I think that given time, given the number of deals the EU is doing with countries like Japan, like Australia anyway, I don't think there'll be that much difference between EU customs unions and things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and its successors. I think they'll all be relatively similar. So the hurdles in the long term for those, I think, will disappear because I think more and more countries will become aligned to, base, to a lot of basic standards, especially across stuff like um, the auto industry, pharmaceuticals, other manufactured goods. Um, there's a lot of standards there that, that are being set anyway, apart from America, that's its own universe because it's such a big economy. Um, mm. 
So I think those hurdles are actually not as big as I think everyone's making out at the moment. Um, and it almost feels like we've become a bit obsessed by the customs union and there's bigger stuff to be thinking about in the process. But that's the that's the general stuff. So, I mean, how important – I mean, is it on the radar? Uh, I mean, well, actually, no. I mean, let's ask that question slightly differently. With U.S. Um, antagonism towards Chinese trade, um, is Brexit a bit of a side issue for the Japanese government at the moment? Very much so. I mean, looking at probably the most important thing that's happened for Japan in, in relation to the U.S.-China trade war is its free trade deal with the European Union, ironically enough. Yeah. And this, I mean, this deal in itself is seen as something of a, a safe harbour in an increasingly uncertain world. Um, the European Union, this deal between the European Union and Japan um, has created, and the aim is not just economically, but politically, to create a bit more stability in the world. Yeah. So in comparison to this, um, it has to be said that you know, Brexit is a very minor occurrence. But I do believe, I mean, probably a part of Prime Minister Abe's offer to you know, allow the United Kingdom to join the CPTPP uh, it probably does stem from the growing uncertainty between uh, America and China. Yeah. No, mate, that, that does make sense because I suppose with – I suppose depending on how you put it, you could say America is relinquishing its position as the sort of the, – the major player in international trade and the driver of free trade. Um, it, it almost feels like those that are still – want free trade um, need to sort of club together to, to create stability well, I mean, what... this is why Japan, Japan was instrumental in getting some when America withdrew from the TPP uh, Japan really was the instrumental main player in getting something out, salvaging the deal and mm. making sure that something got signed so other international actors and you know, this is Japan and this includes the, includes the European Union um, are stepping up to fill the void um, that's left by increasing uncertainty uh, coming out of America. It's 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 almost like um, I mean I from from how I see it, it almost feels like the you know from from the earliest days at university, I remember there's always the talk of you know China is rising in the world, um, and it feels like what Trump's done with his trade has sped that up, like it's um. Meant that China has to really go out there, um, but with the developments like the EU and the way the EU is integrating with China through the One Belt One Road policy, um, and you know now there's been there's you know goods are being transported by train from China through Russia, Belarus to Poland, in essentially a customs union that the Russians and Belarusians are allowing those those trains to move freely. Um, it's it's interesting how the world is moving away from America as the as the leader in trade, and that maybe it's going to become more multipolar, but also multilateral, with people buying into different bits. That um, you know, in the previous rounds we had these really big global talks that took decades on trade. Maybe it gets far more bilateral deals that will like layer on top of each other 
globally to form um, sort of patchworks of different trade deals. Maybe that's more of the future than, than one big deals that that have gone in the past. So what what would your predictions on Brexit be um, from a Japanese perspective? Do you think it will be successful in the near term? Well, this depends entirely on what deal is struck eventually um, in Brussels. Um, and again, the, the growing uncertainty, continuing uncertainty, hasn't hasn't helped um, the Japanese view of Britain or British business. Yeah. Uh, but the, as I said, the relationship remains strong. Everyone really is waiting to see what happens. And really, realistically, there's nothing else that they can do. No. Um, you know, as I said, it, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, I think one thing that perhaps Britain hasn't done enough internationally is perhaps trumpet its its real strengths and skills. And it comes to an interesting ethical question, I think, uh, in, in the European, European Union itself. But I'll explain in a bit more detail. Uh, yeah. Professor Tomohiko Taniguchi from Keio University has coined this view now, the, the Tokyo Consensus towards Brexit. Yeah. And people within the ruling uh, Liberal Democratic Party and within government are increasingly viewing Brexit, obviously, of a great number of economic uncertainty, and mm. they wanted the deal to be struck with the European Union. But Britain is not without its its strengths and its bargaining chips. Um, yeah. Brexit provides Britain with an opportunity um, to use what you know, what it specialises in around the world, particularly its intelligence capabilities and its defence capabilities. Yeah. Uh, with Japan, with Japan, you know, increasingly um, wary of China in the Pacific Ocean, uh, Britain, you know, Britain has skills. That it can that it can utilise and that can, for want of a better term, to export to yeah. other countries uh, in the region and you know closen ties, security ties and relationships in that way. And it's interesting that within within the European Union, within the negotiations, mm. any time any time that people talk about uh, Britain playing less of a security role within Europe. If there's a if there's a no deal Brexit, there seems to be all the, almost this moral imperative that regardless of the deal or no deal that takes place, Britain must continue to have security, offer security and defence partnership with the countries of Europe. Yeah, but this is something of a one when you look at Britain's capabilities in comparison to the other European countries. This is something of a one way street, and there's an argue there's an argument I think to be made that Britain isn't making enough of its of its strengths in this regard. And it, yeah. security and defence, there seems to be a moral imperative that it shouldn't be used as a bargaining chip. But I think tactically that might have been that might have been an error by the British government. I I would actually agree with you there. I think that um, there's something to be said like when we were talking about negotiating the divorce bill from the EU, um, I think actually we could have reduced that massively by promising to station more troops in Poland and the Baltics and Eastern Europe. Um, and I think there's, there's definitely ways we could have been far more creative. I mean, I don't think we should have ever held them over the barrel over it because it's more important than Brexit. Um, but 
you know, we that's something that we offer Europe. We, you know, we offer probably the best best armed forces that the European continent has. Um, Germany's starting to catch up with what it's doing, but it, you know, but we're still the leaders. And I think we we could have used it not in a bad way, but in a way of saying, look. This is what we provide into the European project. We help protect it. But isn't that worth with us protecting it? You giving us some leeway in some of the other areas of negotiation. Um, and I think that would have been entirely fair. Um, but if, but the problem is, I think Brexit, the Brexit process was never, we never had an actual idea what Brexit was. So it's all been very off the hoof. So I think with like the defence stuff, it's it just got put aside one day, and no one sort of picked it back up almost. Um, but it's interesting what you say there about a sort of like Tokyo consensus on Brexit. Um, it's I, I always find it quite interesting the parallels between Japan and Britain. They're actually two very similar nations in many respects. Um, so I think whatever happens, I think that there is you know the opportunity for Britain to have some more more uh, deeper ties bilaterally with um, Japan. I mean, for instance, 1.6 million cars made in this country by Japanese car manufacturers. I mean, that's a, that's a huge economic tie. Um, it is. 80% of those are exported to Europe. Yeah, which, you know... Without, which, without, a custom, without a customs union or a trade deal at the end of Brexit, counts for very little, unfortunately. It does, it does, but... Um, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right in what you say. The ties between, um, on, on a bilateral level, I think the ties between Britain and Japan are probably stronger than they are um, with between Japan and any other European country. Yeah. Quite frankly. And I think they'll, they'll continue to, they will, as I said before, they will continue to be so. But the level of economic investment and the level of benefit that Britain sees out of that is going to depend on the deal that is mm. finally struck. Yeah, as, especially in the short and medium terms. Um, as I suppose as, you know, post-Brexit and we develop into global Britain, as we're talking about, if that happens, um, I'm not so sure that many people wanted Brexit, actually wanted a, want a global Britain, um, the, the, we can become almost like a, you know, we could, in fact, become closer. But I suppose on the defence ties, you, you do mention some interesting points, actually, going back to that, about um, Japan's, I suppose, fear of China. Um, but I suppose what, what can lessen that fear of China is actually increased economic integration with the European Union and trading with European partners and Britain, because the more that China depends on other countries outside of itself, the harder it becomes to take aggressive foreign policy moves. So pushing and helping to create more trade with Europe in, in, and Britain between Europe, Britain and China can only help Japan in that way from a security perspective. Um, but more generally, I mean, do you, do you think a deal will be made between the EU and Britain? <laughs> I have no desire to answer that question. <laughs> um, it seems, I mean, having, I think reading, you know, reading 
the papers and the reports and, and all of the rumours and news. Um, <laughs> it depends what you read on what day. Um, yeah. But the one, the one thing I will say, coming at this from a, from a Japanese perspective, it makes, it makes a no-deal scenario um, nonsensical, certainly from Britain's point of view. And I believe that to be the case. And I believe that to be the case for the European Union as well. I don't believe it's, a, you know, it's Britain is the only one hurt by a no-deal scenario. I think the, the, you know, the consensus now amongst, around the world is that there, a deal of some kind has to be struck or there will be short-term, perhaps even medium-term uh, economic damage. Mm. I don't think I don't think there's any doubts about that in the short term. In the in the long term, yeah, it's, it's it would be impossible to tell. I think in the end, common sense will prevail. But that is a that is I can only put down as a personal opinion um, rather than any kind of kind of informed conclusion because it's impossible it's impossible to look at the information available and make any kind of informed conclusion about what's going to happen at the end of this negotiation. Yeah, that that is a very fair way of putting it. Um, I think uh, I think it's madness to predict what is possibly the most unpredictable um, thing. Well, I can't I can't I can't remember a time that's been this unpredictable in British politics. Um, not in our lives. Global, global politics. Yeah, it, it global, must, since, it, since the end of the since the end of the Cold War, we've. We've gone through perhaps the eye of the storm and the calm. The calm has passed and we're back into perhaps the chaotic anarchical system um, that any international relations graduate will have, will have come across. Yes. Um, just for listeners, both me and Sean went to Aberystwyth University. Um, we've actually known each other since sixth form. So uh, we so I suppose the best way to put it, we were schooled in that sort of Aberystwyth school of IR that the whole place is a jungle of winner takes all um barbara having 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 studied realism and having taught yeah. realism um I, I i still maintain it's a pretty convincing argument i so that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's perhaps an, that's perhaps a, an in-depth argument for another day that that is an in-depth argument I, I i think the way to put it is is that some places in the world have more realism than others um <laughs> Uh, which, which, if, if, if you've never studied realism, but I are, you're going to be baffled by that comment. But yeah, so it's, I mean, Brexit is a very interesting case study in sovereignty, state sovereignty, and the way it's changed, um, since the Second World War. And I think, uh, after it's all said and done, it's, I think it will be studied for a very long time. So I think it tells us a lot about the modern world. Um, but, Sean, Dr. Vincent, your time has been invaluable, and thank you very much for asking, answering all these questions. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again another time. Uh, my pleasure, Joseph. Thank you for having me, and I'd be delighted to come back. Fantastic. Speak to you soon, and thank you for appearing on Public Policy Radio.
thank you for listening to that episode. Um, I had an absolute blast um, recording it. Um, I've been friends with um, Sean for a very long time, since sixth form, um, where I did my A-levels with Sean. He got better grades than me. Um, he's a great chap. Um, and look out for his research in the future. Um, until then, thank you for listening to Public Policy Radio, brought to you by Westminster Search. If you're looking for a new job or looking for a new staff member, please email joseph.henry at westminstersearch.com. And have a great day.